disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Creator and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Somewhere at this moment, and probably not far from here, a teenager and parent are having an argument. <laughs> about school, maybe, or going out at night, or driving, or any of a thousand things that parents and kids argue about. At some point, the teenager stomps up the stairs and shouts, I hate you, and slams the door. Chances are you and I would not look at that situation and say to ourselves, the gospel of the Lord. <laughs> Thanks be to God. And yet, we just read these words from Jesus, in which he says quite directly, whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, even life itself, cannot be my disciple. And then we said... The gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. To be perfectly honest, this is one of the passages I wish Jesus had never said, or at least no one had ever written down. Robert Brown Taylor says the same about the same basic passage in the gospel of Matthew. She says, I do not like this passage because it seems so contrary to what we need in the world right now. Our families are already so fragile and fractured. The last thing we need is another reason to be set against each other, especially one decreed by Jesus himself. The last thing we need is a Lord who strides into our living rooms with a sword to chop us apart. Most of us are so chopped apart, he would be hard-pressed to put any more distance between us than is already there. I think we can agree that Jesus, who did, by all evidence, love his own family did not mean for us to act with hatred toward anyone, ever, including our families. Even just a little bit of familiarity with dramatic language and metaphor tells us that Jesus is probably trying to make a big contrast between things. This is not the only time he uses this kind of speech. In another place, he talks about money, and he says you can't serve God and money because you'll love one and you'll hate the other. But maybe part of the problem is the word and all the emotion attached to it. When we hear the word hate, I at least jump to that sort of stomach-churning, toxic, turbulent feeling that you experience when something is just repulsive to you, horrifying, 
You want to put as much distance between it and you as you can. I'm not sure that's really, the emotional part is really what Jesus is getting at. He seems to be warning us that following him comes with a cost, and we should be prepared. Count the cost, he says, like this guy who maybe isn't prepared to build a building, or a king who should think really hard about going to war. In other words, if you're going to say yes to one thing, yes to Jesus' way of life, then you are, by definition, saying no to other things. And that includes no to something that's so woven into your bones, like your family, that you almost can't imagine who you would be without it. So, okay, fine, it's a metaphor, it's hyperbole, it's dramatic speech, great, Jesus wants to get our attention. Congratulations, Jesus, you have... But Jesus could have done all of those things, couldn't he, without the word hate? There's a lot of options out there that doesn't need to suggest that we hate anyone or anything. And in a world and a day when hate is very measurably on the rise in very real ways, what does this passage mean for us now? I suspect that something of what Jesus is getting at is about who we are, where our allegiances are, what it is that gives us our sense of identity and safety and security in the world. Those are real questions for us. For many of us, in some ways for all of us, our first sense of identity comes from our families. Just a few minutes ago, we had parents or caregivers give their children a Bible. And we said, your first experience of love comes from your family. And that's true. But in all, in, not in all cases is that a good thing. Families can be dysfunctional. Families can give us a terrible sense of who we are. Families can limit who we are. Families can be so abusive that we don't even know who we are. But that can be very hard to walk away from, even when it's not good because it's the only family you know. At the beginning of this reading today, you might have noticed that it says there are large crowds following Jesus. Once he's done talking, the next chapter starts like this. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. In other words, the large crowds are gone. The only people left are the people who don't have anything to lose. The people with little to no safety net, who maybe were abandoned by their families anyway. They're not worried about hating their mother or father or brothers or sisters. They're not worried about carrying a cross because it feels like they are already. They're not that concerned about giving away possessions they don't already have. The words that sound so harsh and offensive to us are to others gospel and good news. Why? Well, Jesus is telling them that they don't have to be defined by their families. You don't have to fit into some system or role that judged you unworthy and spit you out. You don't have to succeed to be Jesus' follower. You don't have to get more stuff in order to be important in the kingdom of God. 
if you've lost everything, if your family has let you down, if there is suffering in your life you can't figure out how to get away from, those are hard things, painful things, but they are not judgments on you from some angry God. Jesus is saying today that in those hard things, God is with us. You matter. You are still loved. You belong. You are in this kingdom. And to those tax collectors and sinners, that was a word of hope and life. But to many of us in this room, who are probably pretty well attached to our families and our stuff, and who weren't really interested in carrying a cross, many of us hear in these words a hard challenge, even an offense. And that tells us something about ourselves, about who we are. Now, is it bad to love your family? Of course not. Is it bad to hope and pray that the people you love don't suffer? Of course not. Is it really bad to have at least some possessions? It's kind of hard to get through life without at least some. But maybe part of what Jesus is saying today is once those things have you, control you, tell you who you are and what matters, once we think those things will keep us safe and secure, then that grip is hard to break. It takes something pretty dramatic to do it. Like maybe Jesus telling us to hate the things that made us who we are and pick up an instrument of torture and walk away from everything we own. It takes something pretty dramatic to wake us up and make us look at our lives in a new way. In other words, what happens when the things that brought you up, the ideas and the values and the assumptions the systems, just the way the world is built, stuff you never noticed because it was just the air you breathed and the water you swam in? What happens when we start to realize that we've built a world that is, for many people, very toxic and damaging? That we've built a world where it's easier to be male than female. It's easier to be white than a person of color. It's easier to be straight than gay or lesbian or transgender. That it's easier in a thousand ways for some people than it is for others. Now, it's not easy to be human, regardless of your circumstances. But there's no question that the world smooths the way for some of us a lot more than others. And maybe, says Jesus, we ought to say that we hate that that we reject that, that we say no to it. But of course, the biggest problem is that all that stuff comes from somewhere. And all too often, it comes from us. And this part is probably especially from, from those of us who benefit from the way things are. The large crowds, you know, that largely walked away from Jesus at this point. Because part of what Jesus was saying to them is that none of these great big problems that we face in this world, these huge systemic inequities, 
like racism and sexism and prejudice, like homelessness and immigration and mass incarceration and violence. You can name more. What Jesus seems to be saying is none of these big things out there will change until we begin to confront what needs to change in us. The things that brought us up, the things that are as close to us as our families, the things many of us never noticed because we didn't have to, the things that we need to say no to regardless of the cost. Can we hate that, that injustice? Can we detest it so much that we turn away from it even when it's inside us? Can we name it, tell the truth about it, and reject it, get angry at it so much that we can't help but be propelled to do what we can to change it, change all of it, starting in here? Jesus leaves us with no illusions. This is hard work. Of all the passages that we could choose for the first Sunday when a lot of people, you know, come back from summer and bring their kids to Sunday school, this is not on the top of my list, to be honest with you. But it's here, and it matters. Because hidden in this passage is the gospel. What Jesus is asking us to do today is death and resurrection. Die to one way of life and be born to another. And that's the gospel. That's the kind of life that really is life. And the only way to it is to die to the things we are learning to hate. That price is high. Higher than we know. But in the words of a devotion I read this week, there's major letting go to be done. You better count the cost and don't leave anything out. But don't forget to count the cost of giving up. Amen.